Peace be with you. Uh, I looked back at my roster, my grade roster. But I met Pastor John about six years ago. Remember where to stand? All right. Um, <laughs> I met him about six years ago. And in my first class, my wife and I and our family had just moved from Michigan, Spring Arbor University, where I was teaching over there at a free Methodist university. And my first class, John was there. Uh, and I remember his presentation. He did a presentation on inerrancy, on the doctrine of God's word. And he had this wonderful little cartoon that he just fell in love with. And he said, <laughs> anyways, it, it, was, it was a joy to get to know him. And I did see his grade, and he did very well. Uh, he got an A in the class. And there weren't many A's in there, so... Uh, I don't know why I checked, but I thought just, just to check. Um, his head didn't explode so that he didn't pass the class. He did, he did very well. Uh, today I want to talk about beauty and uh, some of the songs that we sang tie in wonderfully into what we will be looking at. On Friday, partly because of bad planning on my part, I ended up going to four different grocery stores. Uh, we, had, we had soccer yesterday, and we were in charge of the treats. And I went to one place where there were some things, and then not, I had to go to Ralph's, and then I went to Sprouts. And then my grandmother needs help with groceries, and she needed to go to Costco, and then also uh, to Stater Brothers. So I was hanging out all day Friday at the grocery store. And I, I learned something about grocery store checkout aisles, right? And, and the way in which they are trying to shape our perception of what is beautiful, uh, right? In the checkout aisles, I've got an image of one here, um, but there, there's these magazines, right? Men's Health, where you can have, can I read about 325 body hacks, right? I don't know what that means. But you can read about it in here. And, and you have uh, cosmopolitan magazines that say, can love your body. Right? What, are they, what are they trying to sell? What are they trying to get us to look at? The checkout aisles, there's magazines of beautiful homes, right? This is what a beautiful home looks like. These are what a good relationship or a broken relationship looks like. Uh, grocery checkout aisles have a lot to say about the beautiful life. And we all want a beautiful life, and that's what they're trying to sell. Right? Everywhere we turn, we're told to follow this. In America, we spent last year $62 billion on beauty and cosmetic products. Globally, $120 billion. Just driving down the freeway this morning, you're inundated by billboards and advertisements about what the beautiful life is. And we spend around $500 billion by marketers telling us the gospel of the beautiful life. And we've become accustomed to this. We've become accustomed to this gospel. And we don't take time to evaluate or reflect on it enough. And that's what we'll do today. Let's look at it. Let's think about what the beautiful life is. 
One of the reasons, one of the reasons these magazines and billboards have an effect on us is, is due to our primal sin, original sin, which is this, what Luther said is humanity turned inward on himself. Yeah, those are ads, different ads and things, right? We're just inundated thousands of times. Even in here, I mean, I'm wearing Birkenstocks. In some sense, that's kind of like an advertisement for Birkenstocks. We're, we're inundated, even in places that we don't realize. We're inundated by the logos on our shirts, right? We're inundated by this, this gospel that's basically saying, look at yourself and see how you can become beautiful. It's a hyper-concern for the self. It's a mirror based gospel. I take students to the mall sometimes for an assignment. And I go, take them to the mall because the mall is really our modern day religious temple. Okay? Uh, there I want them to think about how we worship as a society. Uh, I, mean, I never get them down to South Coast Plaza or, or Westminster Mall. Uh, but we go into these places and we try and see what is the gospel that's being shared here? What's the gospel of the mall? When you walk into a shoe store, do you see pictures of shoes? Not really. What do you see? You see pictures of you know, happy couples, uh, of people that are kind of running or doing something, but they're demonstrating what they, they want you to think is the beautiful life. They're selling a lifestyle. Right? They're not selling really shoes. They're saying that if you buy these shoes, if you become a disciple of Nike or Adidas, then you can have this gospel. But what these images also in the stores are doing are also trying to show you how you're a sinner, at least within that framework, how you don't look like these people. Right? These images are meant to breed dissatisfaction with who you are. Right? Um, if the pictures in the malls looked like me, they wouldn't sell any products. <laughs> right? Because you'd look at me and say, yeah, I'm doing okay. <laughs> right? I'm doing okay. But if, and so the images are blown up, touched up, to tell you, to make you feel dissatisfied with yourself. And that maybe if I buy this, maybe if, you know, I make this sacrifice at the altar, at the counter, right, and receive this gift of this product, then maybe I can participate in this gospel of what beauty is. Right? They're lies. We're inundated with these lies. Right? Everywhere we turn, Facebook, radio, TV, movies, music, Pinterest, yeah, Pinterest is the worst, right? If you're planning a party, now you can't just have a regular like birthday party. Now you have to have like the mega themed birthday party and this. All of these things are trying to tell us what is true beauty, right? So it's good to remember also that what the mall does, what Facebook does, what these magazines do, is they're calling us to discipleship, right? They're calling us to follow them. Right, and pursue what they have on offer. But it's a discipleship motivated predominantly by dissatisfaction of the self. Right? 
True discipleship, truly beautiful discipleship requires that you follow someone beautiful. And it's not motivated by self-hate or dissatisfaction of the self, but motivated out of love. So rather than images of abs and bathing suits, rather than images of fancy hair, expensive clothes, rather than images of fast cars and clean homes, rather than images of athletes and models, the Christian gospel gives us a radically different image of beauty. And it's the beauty that we see in the image of the crucifixion. I'm going to put up an image of a cross here. It's a, a crucifix that I'll talk about later. But as that image is up there, I'm going to read to you from the Word of God, from the Gospel of John. Please give your attention to the reading of God's Word. I am the Good Shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, who is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and runs away. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. The hired hand runs away because a hired hand does not care for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold, and I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, so that there will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life in order to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord, and I have power to lay it down. And I have power to take it up again, which I have received from the Father. The word of the Lord. Uh, you probably didn't come this morning thinking that you know, electric chairs were very beautiful, that uh, lethal injection tables are a thing of beauty. But the church says that the cross, an instrument of torture, of Capital punishment is what is really beautiful. But it's a rather horrid and a terrifying symbol. And yet the church has said with its imagination that this act, this image, reveals to us what truly is beautiful. You don't see this in the grocery store aisles. Uh, Richard Villadesu says this about the cross. He says, The beauty of the cross is that of the divine love abasing itself to raise up humanity. And the cross is its ultimate expression. This allows us to make a distinction and a contrast. The crucifixion as murder was ugly. As martyrdom it was beautiful. Physically, it was ugly. Spiritually, in its meaning, self-sacrifice for others, the laying down of his life for his sheep, it was beautiful. And so what happened to Christ was ugly and horrid, but his willingness to undergo it was beautiful. Jesus tells us that he's the good shepherd. 
and that he willingly went to the cross to lay down his life for his sheep. And so when we see the beauty of the cross, we see the remarkable image of an extravagant and abundant love for us. It's the image of love, and that's why it's beautiful. He laid his life down for a sheep, for us. So early on, the church talks about the crucifix with this type of language, this type of imagination. And this is a, a crucifix from the 11th century in Spain, a gift to King Ferdinand. Uh, one of the songs we sang at the beginning, uh, I mean, he's a, he's a lion of Judah, and the lamb that was slain was the next verse. Uh, his eyes are wide open. And one of the ways that medieval thinkers thought about eyes being open was tied to what they understood as lions, that lions, when they sleep, they sleep with their eyes open. At least that was the mythology back then. Right? This is the lion of Judah. But he's also slain. He's the lamb that was slain. He's slain on a cross. Now what's interesting about this cross is if you zoom in the next slide, you see this awkward little guy on the bottom. Right? This is Adam. And the cross, in a way, has stirred him from his sleep. He's waking up. And you can see here, even on the sides of his feet, some other figures of some people crawling out of tombs. If you go to the next slide, you can see it maybe a little bit better. Uh, within the imagination of the crucifix being something that's beautiful, the image of beauty, they also talked about the cross as the tree of life. Right? This tree gives life. It wakes us up from the grave. Um, the cross was something that was contemplated and seen as supremely beautiful because here we see God's deep sacrifice, his deep love for us so that he would die so that we could live. This is the model of beauty. Go to the full cross the next slide, maybe? Yeah. Now, if discipleship is following the beautiful one, right, the one who's crucified, what does discipleship look like? Now, throughout the Gospels, all four, Jesus tells his disciples, his followers, a little bit of what that looks like. Right? He gives them a little bit of preview. He keeps on telling them that if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to take up your your cross, right? You have to take up your cross and follow me. That means it's going to involve pain. Right? It's not going to be an easy journey, but it will be a beautiful one. Discipleship is in the form of the crucifix. And so if Jesus, the beautiful crucified one, is the one we follow... How are we to understand what our discipleship should look like? Are we following the magazines, uh, the internet ads, etc.? Let me put up another image here. Um, I'm going to read another passage in John, just a couple chapters after the one I just read. Let's pay attention here again to the reading of God's word. 
Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had risen from the dead. There they gave a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, the one who was about to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He kept the common purse and used the steel that was put into it. But Jesus said, Leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. And in this story, Matthew and Mark insert this line. Jesus said, she has done something beautiful to me. She has done something beautiful to me. The word of the Lord. Mary bursts into the door. She brushes this, the men aside, she pours a gallon of costly perfume on Jesus' feet. The disciples rebuke her for her disregard, for her rash waste. But in her free love of Jesus, she participates in the love Jesus is and the love Jesus demonstrates. She is surrendering, surrendering her whole self. She also understands a bit of what Jesus is doing where Jesus is headed. The chapter before this, Jesus raises Lazarus, her brother, in part due to her pleading for his life. Now the raising of Lazarus becomes the key controversial issue that the Jews and the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin get around to kind of want to crucify Jesus. And after this reading, they also want to crucify or kill Lazarus. And so in Jesus raising Lazarus, Mary recognizes that Jesus is, giving him, is leading towards the cross. He is sacrificing himself by raising Jesus. And Jesus defends Mary's action to the disciples here. He says that she's doing something beautiful. She's extravagantly giving of herself. A theologian in the UK paraphrases Jesus' comments saying this. Jesus says to his disciples, But don't you see? She's behaving just like me. She's demonstrating the extravagance of human love. She's poured out her whole self financial, social, emotional, to gain your attention by a gesture of sheer beauty. Then he paraphrases Jesus saying, I'm trying to demonstrate to you the extravagance of divine love. I'm pouring out my whole self, physical, spiritual, metaphysical, to gain your attention by a gesture of sheer beauty, by self-sacrifice. I am the extravagant God. And if you are taking no notice of her, then how much worse that you're taking no notice of me. 
Mary has touched the body of Jesus. She's anointed his feet for burial with her hands, hair, and tears. And this is beautiful. Also in response to the disciples' suspicious judgments about this extravagant waste of a gesture. Right? And, and, and let's... I mean, 300 denarii back then would be about $40,000 today. Right? So we understand Judas's comment. If I were to take a $40,000 know, jar of perfume and just were to dump it on someone's feet here, I don't think we would say, oh, that's great. I think most of us would have the same reaction that Judas has, right? What a tremendous waste. And, and she must have saved quite a lot of money, right? This might have been her retirement. She's, this might have been, who knows, $40,000, a year's wage doesn't come easily. But she pours it on Jesus' feet. And so we understand, in some sense, what Judas says. We understand how we might see this as a waste. But Judas and the disciples are missing the beauty in front of their eyes. Mary lives a beautiful life because she's imitating the self-sacrificial nature of the beautiful Savior. I want to give you two other models of the beautiful life. Uh, put up this picture. This is young Father Damien. Father Damien was born in the 19th century in Belgium. He became a Belgian priest. He was then uh, sent to Hawaii. It's not a bad gig. Um, but off the coast of Hawaii, there was uh, the island of Molokai, and some of you might be familiar with this story, uh, where uh, lepers were put there, kind of segregated from the rest of the other islands. And the bishops thought, we need, a, uh, we need to send priests there. And so what we'll do is we'll send priests there for about two weeks and cycle them in and out with strict orders that you're not to touch uh, the people there for fear that you might also get leprosy. Well, Father Damien's the first one sent, and right away he disregards the words of the bishop, and he's tending the wounds uh, and the dressings of the people on the island. And he says, I'm not going to leave here. You don't need to send anyone else. I'm going to stay here with them. Now, this, I mean, this image, he's a handsome young man, right? You think? No? I think he's pretty good looking. You know, he's a handsome guy. I mean, I could cut off that little that image and paste it on this little thing, and we say, yeah, he's, he's not that. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> right? I think we could do that. All right, so we'd say he's pretty handsome. Now, now after 16 years working on the island of Molokai, uh, he contracted leprosy, and, and this is a picture of him. Sixteen years of kind of tending the wounds, tending the dressings uh, of the people on the island of Molokai. Um, and one day he was, uh, put his hand under scalding hot water and he realized he didn't feel anything and uh, came to know that, oh, um, I have it now as well. Now, this is what I'd like to argue is what carrying your cross looks like, Right? Um, if you want an image of beauty, let's put both of the next slide up. 
what's more beautiful? Right now, the, the grocery checkout aisles are going to say the right is. Right? The gospel teaches us that the left image is, or your right image, right? <laughs> this one beautiful, this one not. Let me tell you another story, uh, another beautiful disciple. Uh, this is, next slide, this is young Mother Teresa. A very pretty young girl. And, and, and you're much more familiar with this story. Let me read a little excerpt from one of her biographies. The missionaries of charity were not to wear gloves to touch the maggot-ridden bodies of the dying any more than they were to hold the lepers at arm's length because they were tending the body of Christ. One anecdote which Mother Teresa loved to tell and retell was of a young novice who was sent for the first time to work in Nirmal Hadre, who returned at the end of the day with shining eyes, protesting her joy that she had been touching Christ's body throughout the day. Let's go to the next slide. Mother Teresa did not use Botox. Right? Let's put both slides together. What's, what's beautiful, right, are the wrinkles of wisdom that she has gained through touching and caring for Christ's body in the streets of Calcutta. The world wants to tell us that no wrinkles is what's beautiful, not gray hair, right? The, the, but the Proverbs tell us that actually gray hair is beautiful. The Gospels say things about what beauty is. Right? This is beautiful discipleship. The life of discipleship, the beautiful life, isn't the one the media tells us to pursue with perfect bodies preserved from others, but the scarred bodies of faithful discipleship. Scars alone that will prove most worthy of a kiss. I wonder, is it true? Men's health and cosmo, the world that surrounds us, preaches a false gospel of beauty. Don't pursue that. Don't focus on the mirror to discover what is beautiful. But like Mary, Mother Teresa, Father Damien, focus on the one we follow, Jesus Christ. The beautiful Savior who demonstrates beautiful and extravagant love by hanging on a cross, laying down his life, for you and me. And that kind of life will leave you scarred by love. We are called to imitate him, and thus we too will grow in a similar scarred beauty. Sam Wells says that after reading this kind of story, it's worth asking this question, and I ask it to all of us and to myself. What is the beautiful thing you are being called to do? What is the beautiful thing you are being called to do? He says, I wonder if there is something you are drawn to but shy away from because it seems too costly, extravagant, crazy, or ridiculous. I wonder if there is a gesture you need to make because like Mary's gesture... It's time for you, for once in your life, 
to imitate the extravagance of God. I wonder if, like Mary, you've suddenly realized that this important thing has to happen right now, and it won't wait. What is the beautiful thing you are being called to do? I think that's a good question. I think it's a question we need to sit with. Another question is Judas's question. What is the beautiful thing taking place that we can't see? What's the beautiful gestures around us that for some reason we've not noticed or paid attention to? And maybe for pragmatic reasons and other reasons, uh, we need to be reminded of its beauty, of the beauty there. What is the beautiful thing you are being called to do? What's the beauty you're neglecting around you? Let's encourage each other to live a beautiful life of extravagant love, to risk the wrinkles of wisdom and the scars of love that come by following our scarred Lord. We're going to take communion now together. Um, And in addition, uh, Pastor Jonathan and myself, we will anoint your hands as well. So we'll anoint your hands and then you can take the elements when the ushers come up. Um, As disciples, I want you to remember that you have beautiful work to do. And as a way to remember this work, right, we're going to take communion together. And so let's prepare our hearts right now and take a moment to confess. You guys are so efficient. Everything just starts moving. <laughs> let's take a moment right now as we get in our places. Let's take a moment to confess right, to God about the ugliness of our week, about the beauty that we've neglected around us, right? the things that maybe we've done uh, that have been more about discipleship uh, of the world and not the discipleship of the resurrected and crucified king. So take a moment of silence and confess those things. Father, we confess to you that we have followed the media and become disciples of lies rather than your disciples following in your footpath of extravagant, self-giving love. And we have neglected the truly beautiful. We've neglected you. Forgive us, Lord. This we pray. Now let's stand and let's pray together. Extravagant God, you poured out your lifeblood in the ministry and death of your Son, Jesus Christ. You meet ugliness with your grace, our scarcity with your abundance, and our suspicion with your generous trust. Beautiful God, in Jesus, on the cross, you demonstrated your deep love for us. Make us beautiful disciples 
that even as we get older with gray hair, wrinkles, and scars, our hearts would be made ready that we may meet you face to face. We ask that you send down your Holy Spirit upon us and on the bread and the cup that they may be for us the body and blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. On the night before his crucifixion, ate with his disciples. He took bread and wine, gave you thanks, broke the bread, and gave the bread and wine to his disciples as the food that would nourish them into his beautiful image. Abundant God, remind us of your limitless love as we partake at your table and as we get our hands blessed. When we are full of criticism of others and hatred of ourselves, may your sacrifice show us the beauty you see in all of us. Bless all our touching that we may touch your gifts and one another as if we were touching your body. And bless our desires that in every craving and longing we may discover a deep yearning for you. Bless the work of our hands that our discipleship would be a beautiful offering as sweet and as costly as Mary's perfume. Lord, arrest us with your beauty. All this we ask in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son, who reigns with you and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.